Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, episode 22. Wow, we've done quite a few great episodes in our Health Chatter conversations. Today, we're going to be talking about another complicated subject, um, Alzheimer's, dementia, memory loss, and how that affects particular populations. We've got a great guest with us. I'll get to it in a minute. But... Um, as many of you have heard, uh, we have a great, a great crew that's involved with us that uh, makes our health chatter discussions successful, and that includes Aaron Collins and Maddie Levine Wolf, who do incredibly wonderful work, uh, background on on the different subjects that we do. We do they provide research and some good questions for us to provide to our, our guests. So thank you to both Maddie and Aaron. And then um, all logistics and technical aspects fall with um, Matthew Campbell, who's our our production manager for for the show. And he does a great job not only um, with those logistics, but getting the shows out and doing the editing, et cetera. And so thank you to, to all three of you. And then of course, um, many thanks go to my, my colleague, my trusted partner, Clarence Jones. And we have a great time doing these, these shows. And um, we hope we hope we're doing a service for all the communities out there by providing open and honest discussions about all the various topics in, in health. And boy, I'll tell you, we're never devoid of topics. I mean, we always, <laughs> we always have a, a, a long list of, of areas that we want to discuss. Today, we're talking about a, uh, another hard subject that affects um, a lot of people. Um, in the United States and around the world, namely Alzheimer's, um, dementia, memory loss. And we have a wonderful guest with us who was introduced to me from my uh, dear colleagues at the Minnesota Department of Health, uh, Dr. Manka Kimbeg from the, from the University of Minnesota. She's assistant professor in the Division of Health Policy and Management there and an affiliate also professor in the, uh, the School of Nursing. She's got her back, wonderful background. Uh, her doctor from Johns Hopkins and her master's in public health from Boston U. And uh, she has interesting research interests as well, uh, which include understanding the cause of health inequities in minorities and improving health outcomes for older adults. Many, many uh, publications. And so we, um, we are thankful that you are at, in the University of Minnesota. You're right here, right here. So we can, we can call on you for other things and other subjects as we um, do various shows. So, it won't always be on this subject. We know who to call when uh, when when we have other things in the area of aging. So thank you for being with us. So, um, oh my goodness, Manka, 
give us, you know, a professional perspective for maybe that's the best way to start this. Give us a professional perspective on this whole arena of, um, I don't even know what, what the what the umbrella would be, but I guess maybe just we could call it memory loss. Give us your perspective on that. That's a, good morning, everyone, and thank you all so much for having me today. That's a big question, but I think in the medical world, it's often called dementia. We'll talk about how that is not necessarily what people think of it in the community, but dementia is a is an umbrella term for a group of cognitive conditions that affect um, our daily function and there's different types of dementia. Alzheimer's disease being the most common one and then vascular dementia, mixed dementias. And the, the moral of the story is that despite this group of umbrella conditions, rich and ending minorities are disproportionately affected where African-Americans have doubled the risk compared to non-Hispanic whites and his, uh, Hispanic and Latino communities have 1.5 times the risk, and there's a lot of disparities in care, access to care, uh, caregiving resources, and the list goes on and on. And it's a condition that is costing us as a country and as a society a lot of money. A lot. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, okay, I guess I guess Clarence and I have to put ourselves in that in that older American category, at least at least we'll do it temporarily for this show. How does that sound, Clarence? <laughs> hey, it sounds great, Stan. But okay. you know, let, let me ask, I want to ask Dr. Manko a question, though. Is that it, is it okay? Real yeah, quick? for sure. Okay. All right. I have my hands up there. Um, first of all, let me make an honest confession. Um, I never wanted to get old. Uh, <laughs> uh, I saw how older people, when, when they got older, their, their behavior sometimes changed. And I remember as a little boy, uh, my grandmother was probably the meanest woman on earth. And, um, you know, as I've grown older, I, I have started to understand the impact of getting older and dementia and Alzheimer's, those kinds of things. In fact, <clears throat> quite honestly, when I was as I was growing up, I didn't mind, I, you know, whatever I knew about Alzheimer's, I could accept, but I never wanted dementia. And I think that, you know, it's really funny <clears throat> about words, about how people use words and those kinds of things and <clears throat> really how confused we are about this issue. And so I think that this was a wonderful, wonderful way for us to enter this conversation. But I thought I had to make a confession first. Uh, I do want you to know I also was a dementia friend. So I, I took the time to, to learn something about this. But I think that this particular conversation is important for us, as Stan was talking about some of the basic things for us to really understand, because I think a lot of people just don't understand old folk. And Stan, I, I'm, I'm a, it'll be a couple more years before I get old, okay? Okay, but, okay, I'll give you that, okay. But, okay, so Dr. <laughs> so Dr. Manka, let's, let, let's, based on what I'm saying, you know, you talked about the whole issue around community and how we understand things. Uh, what are your thoughts? So <laughs> it's interesting that you never wanted to get old, but the truth of the matter is we're all getting old. And for some reason, our society has conditioned us to think that old is over the age of 65. We start from zero in the birth and we're just getting old. So aging is something that is happening to everyone. So not just who people since we're over the age of 65, but the point you're making about how the condition is, there's a lot of, 
it's there's a lot of challenges in understanding it in the community and some of it comes around the terminology but some of it is also related to stigma and so the challenge is as health professionals thinking about how do we make sure that people know what it is because some of the stigma is actually coming from ignorance and so if you don't know what it is you're afraid of it and so Personally, my work, what I've been doing is after having several conversations with community and asking, what do you call this condition in your community? Or what did you call it in your community since I work with African immigrants back home in Africa and realizing that the word dementia was not known? It's really thinking about how do we place what they know and then introduce what they do not know. So in my world, I typically say memory loss and dementia. So memory loss is what a lot of people recognize it to be. And that's primarily because that's one of the major symptoms of the condition that people see and recognize. And so if you say memory loss, that people can think about this cognitive condition. But I, we've also recognized that in the medical system, the disease is the diagnosis is dementia. And so people also need to recognize that term and know that term so that when they're interfacing with the medical system, they're able to understand what's happening and get the knowledge that they need to do. And so I often call it memory loss and dementia or memory loss dementia. So let me let me ask you something. So you bring up an, an interesting point. The minute you're born, you start aging. No kidding. I mean, that's the, no, no truer words. All right. So... Um, do we see any indications of dementia or memory loss in, um, in younger people? Or can we just assume that we're talking about an older population, which by the way, I wanna get some clarity around how we define an older population. But in general, do we, do, do we ever see patients younger patients with with memory loss yeah. yes that's the short answer but it's not a lot mm -hmm. the the i should say dementias that have a familiar history or have a genetic component typically can appear earlier on in have an earlier onset. Alzheimer's has some families that might have earlier onset of Alzheimer's disease, which is happening below the age of 65. And then other types of dementias have earlier onset. But there's so many types of dementias. There's dementias that can come from traumatic brain injury. And so those two can have earlier onset. So it's really depending on the type of dementia and what is causing it, you can have it starting at the age of 70. Once you're getting, you're much older in in years, or it can start earlier on, depending on the kind of dementia and its risk factors. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, let's talk about a little bit of a definitional criteria here, because, you know, when we talk about aging, what, okay, it, it, it's it, to me, it's confusing. It's like aging. Does that automatically put you into an older category as far as research is concerned and at what are the defining characteristics of that or age itself by numbers is it like 60 and over 65 and older 55 and older what what defines aging that's a big question that i'm not sure we have the answer for just yet but i think 
because of kind of the programming and things that we have in our society in the United States, older daughters typically refer to as over the age of 65 when you're having access to some of the benefit programs. But depending mm-hmm. on what communities you are and where you're studying, I have seen research coming from different countries where they're cap- uh, thinking of over the age of 50 as older adults and above. Mm-hmm. And depending yeah. on even in the United States, over the 60 and o- and above. So it really just depends on why you're categorizing people and what you and what you need to do or what you're looking at but there's also kind of like the physiological things that are happening as we all age and so it's just thinking about is the age itself the important factor or is health and the health outcomes you're looking at the important factor and there's a lot of debate about this and how to categorize all of these so in your research you know you 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 mentioned to me previously that you do um focus on immigrant experiences of aging. So I'm assuming you're talking to to people or people are involved with your with your research. What ages are those people? So in my work with African immigrants, I've typically included persons over the age of 50. 50. Okay, well now that's interesting. Okay. And even though you you identify that as aging in your in your research right yes so okay all right yeah we're all kind of grouping all of those as middle age and older adulthood yes all right so i have a question stan real quick yeah yeah yeah. because because it was it was really really uh prodded by by what you were saying about aging uh when i was younger uh my aunt had early onset uh dementia alzheimer's i mean because she was like 50 50 in her 50s and the doctor said he had never seen anybody that early, that young, getting getting Alzheimer's. And so the whole idea about about us thinking about Alzheimer's or dementia being older is something that we need to enter into that conversation with because it is happening more. And as you just said, you know, some of this is caused by trauma of the head. I mean, and a variety of different kinds of things. And so what we think are maybe some abnormal behaviors are maybe parts of the body processing and doing things that are very normal. We just don't have the conversations about them and we don't have the knowledge about them. And uh, so I think that this conversation is very, very important. So, you know, I have, um, I had a very, very dear colleague of mine who was my doctoral advisor in the, uh, in the school of public health, Dr. Robert Ten Bensel. He was in, um, maternal and child health and may he rest in peace he um he was a wonderful man incredibly vibrant um internationally known in the area of child abuse and neglect etc cetera, etc cetera. and he came down with early onset alzheimer's and as a um as a student and as a colleague and friend I saw and witnessed that progression. And um, I can just say to the audience, it, 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 was, it was really, really sad 
to see such a you know a, it's true for anybody who gets this but you know when you when you go through it with somebody that you know it, it's tough so let's let's talk about some of these symptoms do you know i tell tell us what what our audience should be aware of symptom wise for memory loss um dementia alzheimer's what what should we be aware of So because there are different types of dementia and that often the symptoms are often related to kind of the part of the brain that is affected. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what what is happening and where it's happening in the brain, you might have memory loss that disrupts life. You might have a difficulty misplacing things, having issues understanding images and spatial relationships, having difficulty speaking, having decreased or poor judgment. In fact, there's a, a list of 10 kind of warning signs that the Alzheimer's Association has put up. And I often recommend that everyone knows those warning signs, because if you know them, then you can begin be on the lookout for a relative who might be portraying some of those signs. And when we talk about memory loss, it's not like you forgot your keys a couple of minutes ago and then you remember where you kept them. It's more like you forgot your keys, you just completely forgot and you don't remember where you kept them. So it's really like this persistent and severe loss or difficulty in, in memory or whatever symptom it is that is really affecting the way you do things. And so it's not just, I know people often say, you know, I forgot where I kept something and I have dementia. That's not it. It's really severe and persistent that is actually disrupting your life. And so I often recommend that everyone go learn those 10 warning signs. And the Alzheimer's Association has a ton of brochures that you can even have and keep at home so that everybody knows them and be on the lookout for them. Yeah, yeah so some of these, you know, I might as well list them out because I can, you know, it might be really useful for, you know, um, our, our audience to know them. So. Um, 10 symptoms of, of Alzheimer's. Here we go. I'll do them quickly. Memory loss that disrupts daily life, which is, which is also, you know, it's judgmental, but it's at least you, you get a sense of that. Challenges in planning or solving problems, difficulty completing familiar tasks, confusion with time and place, Trouble understanding visual images and spatial relationships, new problems with words, misplacing things and losing the ability to retrace your steps, decreased poor judgment, withdrawal from work and social activities, and changes in, in mood. So those are kind of the, the 10. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have some of those. I mean, okay, so now... And 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 Clarence, I know you do too. So come on, raise your hand. <laughs> My hand's been raised, Sam. Okay. <laughs> Seat up there in the corner, still up there in the corner. Yeah. All right. So what's normal? You know, maybe that's a good question. What's kind of this as we get older, we're gonna forget things and we're gonna misplace things and we're gonna oh, what's that word that I should be you know using here or whatever? What the heck is normal? That's a very, very good question. And it all it also depends on the person. So it's this scenario where I think that gets to talking a little bit about how 
uh, Alzheimer's and dementias are diagnosed. And so it's really thinking about you recognizing what's happening. And oftentimes the person is able to say, this is strange, this is not me. Because you see the shift from how things used to be maybe a couple of weeks ago or a year ago to now, and you start recognizing that there's there's changes that are happening and it's really different from you. It's no longer your norm because we all have a patterns that we get into or things that we do that our family and our circumstances surrounding people know that is normal. And so once you start realizing or once your family starts realizing that, oh, this is not normal for you, that's that's one big um, uh, kind of sign. The other piece of the puzzle is that there are things like, there's some people who would, put food on the stove and then forget that they cooked. You mm-hmm. recognize that that's somebody who used to cook really well and know what is happening. That's no longer normal for them. Or somebody used to cook and measure all of the ingredients in good quantity and the food tastes good. And out of a sudden, you're putting and repeating, forgetting that it put salt and then put it again, forgetting that it put salt and then put it again. And you taste the food and you're like, this person used to cook really well. There's something going on. So those are some of the ways I can begin thinking about what is normal versus what is not normal? So, you know, um, this is a, a progressive disease. It's not like, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you are uh, diagnosed with cancer. Boom. Or it's like you've you've had a heart attack and you have this heart condition now. This is over a period of, of time. And for some people, if and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Monica, that uh, for some people that progression is shorter, and for some people it's longer, but still could end for both of those scenarios with actual um, Alzheimer's disease. Um, okay, so here's here's a couple things that I think is important for our audience to know. And correct me if I'm wrong, currently there's no cure for Alzheimer's. Is that correct? Yes, unfortunately, but we are working, everyone, all the scientists I know are working tirelessly towards that. So it's a cure, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Now let's talk about, okay, so, you know, on one hand, if you have it and how is it that you can cure it? On the other hand is... um, prevention so i know a lot of a lot of people that do these um mind puzzles or things that keep their 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 minds active and maybe you know some people describe it as using the other side of their brain to keep things really moving is there any indication that that helps those types of of activities So the evidence is mixed, but generally, yes. So quite a a lot of the things that we do, especially related to heart health, have also been shown to improve brain health. So exercising, sleeping well, eating a proper diet, and doing activities like you're talking about with the puzzles that improve uh, mental stimulation have been shown to kind of improve brain function and have also been recommended for persons who do not have it to begin doing it and engaging in all of this kind of brain and heart health activities that are going to really help us kind of prevent it. Because there's uh, some evidence that is showing that some 
some uh, groups of persons who are going to develop that condition can prevent it if they practice a lot of healthy behaviors, especially in the mid midlife stage of their midlife stage of their lives. Yes. So yeah, you know the other thing is is it, it's it's is it familial? In other words, do we see it being more in families that have had it genetically? So there is a genetic component which kind of says that you might be at risk, but that does not mean that you do not do the prevention, all of the prevention things that we've talked about. And it's also, you know, just having the genetic part of it or having a family member puts you at risk, but that is not a certainty. It's just saying that you might, you might not. So it's kind of those things where if you have a family member who has Alzheimer's disease or has Alzheimer's disease uh, related dementia, maybe you might have it as you get older, but it's not certain. And so again, the moral of the story is that we all have to do up the work in preventing it, eating healthy, which are all already things that are good for us, sleeping, not smoking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you have diabetes or hypertension, doing the work to be able to manage that well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dr. Manke, I wanna ask this question. Uh, first of all, what is the prevalence of, of Alzheimer's in our, in, our, in, our, in our community, in our society? But the other thing I want to ask is this. Do people not recognize this disease because it seems to be so low? Or, you know, I mean, is it that we don't have a, we don't have a lot of people walking around with this, so we just don't recognize it? I mean, what is it that, that's causing us not to deal with what this most important uh, disease within our communities? Or is just that only just that we just assume that it's just only going to affect people like Stan and I, old people. So I would argue that dementia, regardless of who in the family it affects, it affects everyone because oftentimes the family caregivers are heavily involved. But going back, I think the latest data said there are about five million persons living with. Alzheimer's disease and Alzheimer's related dementia. And that number is expected to grow to about 14 million thing in 2050 or 2060. So it's growing. But the the challenge in, in, in the community is there's so many kind of things that I want to say they're challenges, but maybe I should speak from the African immigrant community, which is who I work with. Yeah. So in the African immigrant community, we, we're finding that a lot of persons who migrated to the United States never heard the term dementia or memory loss until the, they migrated to the US. And oftentimes that happened when they started working in a health-related job. And so if you do not know the word dementia, or you do not know that medical condition dementia, you know, just think about, you don't know it. The, the name of it so you don't know what it is and so you're not really doing anything to be able to prevent it or even if you see it in someone else you're not going to be able to recognize it and so that's a challenge that a lot of African immigrant community have where they don't even know the word dementia and they, when they come here and they realize it as a medical practitioner that's when persons that are saying, oh, my grandma in the village might have had dementia but we thought it was something else and so it's really just thinking about what aspects of different communities, are they exposed to the word dementia? Do they know the disease dementia? 
and then offering that education. I think education is very critical for, at least for the African immigrant community that I'm working with. And I think for all other communities, most people see it on TV maybe once in a while, but they really do not understand what it is. And more importantly, what are the warning signs and warning symptoms that we should be looking out for? And then if we do see it, what do we do? So I think our community really needs that education. So, so, so I mean, the follow-up question, which you kind of entered into, which I, which I want to enter into as well, a little bit deeper, is that in some of these, in other countries, it's there, but they handle it differently. I mean, you know, you just said people come to, you know, healthcare homes here. In other countries, how do, how would they handle dementia? Uh, you know, um, physical restraints, chemicals. I mean, what do you, what do you think? So in thinking about the African immigrant countries, which is where my work is based on, I think there's a couple of things that we see. The life expectancy for many African countries for the longest time used to be so low. And so conditions like dementia that we're seeing in persons over the age of 65 were not necessarily very prevalent. That's one of the reasons. But the other piece of the puzzle is the the health systems themselves, the limited infrastructure in the health systems, you would not even see somebody going to the doctor to go get kind of a diagnosis for dementia. First, because there are very few neurologists in the country. There are very few primary care providers to begin with. There are very few health systems or hospitals in the country. And so oftentimes it was just maybe someone had memory loss or was exhibiting some sort of poor judgment in the community. And then, you know, that's when the cultural stigma came in. This person was bewitched or this person had witchcraft. And then it gets worse. Family members now started hiding them in the house. And so once that person's been hidden, nobody else knows about it because nobody talks about it. And so that's what I think for a lot of African immigrant communities, they had been managing some of those conditions that, have like really this complex assessment and diagnosis process and even treatment. And it's a matter of the limited health infrastructure in the country. And then also some of the cultural related stigmas that then show up because of the infrastructure and all of those things. Yeah. You know, we're going to be doing a, um, a show um, after this I mean, in a couple of weeks on on caregiving, which also is the other kind of the other side of, of, of the coin a little bit here in the sense of, okay, goodness, you know, you have um, a dear one that you're helping who has memory loss or uh, dementia, or Alzheimer's, and what effects it has on a family's lifestyle, okay? And what changes have to be put in place in order to care for for this person so here's here's something i want to really get to prevention okay now you said yes do these you know don't smoke exercise eat right which is frankly you know the trifecta for just about every everything that we humans have to um avoid as far as disease concerned um there was a recent um article that came out in, uh, actually I saw it on MedPage today, 
October 15th. And this is the headline. Dementia signs emerge up to nine years before the diagnosis. Interesting. Okay, so this is what it says. Signs of brain impairment appeared as early as nine years before people received a diagnosis for Alzheimer's or other dementia-related diseases. This was done in the UK. The findings raised the possibility that at-risk people, which hold that thought for a second, who would be at at-risk, may be screened to identify who could benefit from interventions or be candidates for clinical trials, et cetera, for prevention. All right, so let's, I wanna go back to this idea of at-risk. Who's at-risk? Is everybody at risk just because we're getting older in general? And yes, you're going to be a little bit more forgetful as you get older and these brain cells start, you know, fading away, et cetera. Or is there truly groups of um, or populations that are at higher risk? What, what do you know about this? So... There are different, there are two kind of buckets of risk factors for dementia. And the ones that we really cannot control are often the, as we age in numbers of years, so the increasing age, and then the family histories, the other piece that we're saying that you cannot control, you know, you're born into a family and that's the family you, you've got. But those are only two things. And unfortunately, women also have a higher risk for dementia. That's mm. technically something that is not necessarily a risk factor, but we see that dementia is prevalent in more women. But the other bucket, which is the more serious bucket, is the heart disease, uh, hypertension, diabetes, and uh, smoking. And some of those things, those are the things that we all have control over. We A person can stop smoking. A person can do the work eating well to manage their diabetes and their hypertension. And then for persons who are playing, you know, kids and who are playing sports, you know, using the helmet and all of those things that we can to prevent traumatic brain injury. So a lot of the things we can control or what is called risk factors for dementia, we can do something about. Whereas those other kind of bucket that is we cannot control, it's there. There's a lot we can do to control it. So I think that's often the moral of the stories that let's what is in our control we can control and let's work towards that versus thinking about what is not in our control yeah. right right good point Clarence yeah so now my the question of the day for me is the cost of this I mean it appears that this is a very costly disease what what are your thoughts about that how's it impacting us uh dementia cost everyone a ton of money cost the health system a ton of money cost the family members a ton of money and so it's something that we want to all learn about it and know about it so that we can begin you know thinking about the management early and I think one of the things Stan talked about is the fact that the symptoms are appearing but people do not officially get diagnosed and this is even worse for racial and ending minority communities where we're finding out that they often get to the diagnosis process really late. And by that time, there's a lot of costs associated with it. Whereas if you're able to, as you start seeing symptoms, get in and go get diagnosed, and then a treatment plan can, you know, can be made 
to be able to help the person living with dementia make whatever decisions and whatever choices they need to make and also the family prepare. It's really good for everyone involved, the health system included, if people get diagnosed and get a management plan right out immediately. And there's some medications that might be able to use to improve symptoms if you get diagnosed really early on in the disease process. So go ahead, Clarence. Yeah, I just want to just ask one follow follow-up up on question. that. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. Follow, yeah, one follow-up question. So are there any specific groups? You talked about genetic, genetic um within people. Are there any specific groups that get get uh, Alzheimer's dementia more than other groups? So we found that African Americans or black persons have twice the risk and then Hispanic twice the risk compared to non-Hispanic whites and then uh, Hispanic and Latinos, one point one and a half times the risk. So, yeah. So, all right. Um, you talked a little bit about screening uh, as far as prevention is concerned. So, um, here I'll I'll play it out with myself. You go in for a physical with, um, and um, God, it was only within the last maybe five years that I can remember um, that um, I'm asked by one of the nurses before I see my physician, they ask me a couple of questions and they say, okay, I want you to remember these words, blah, blah, blah. And then in, you know, in, in five minutes, I'm going to ask you to, to repeat them. And I don't know, something happens in between where we talk about something else. And then, then, then they say, okay, tell me what those words are. Okay, are those are those screening indicators for what? What are they What are they looking for? I guess in in that sense. And and if I if I couldn't repeat those words, what does that mean? That's a really good question. So yeah, it's often recommended that once we're going for that physical appointment, especially for persons who are kind of older. Uh, their provider does a comprehensive assessment. So head to toe, neuro assessment, and the cognitive screening is part of that process. And really, those cognitive screening tests are always important because the providers can look back and say, last year, if it's an annual physical, you screened, you know, you screened well and you were in the normal range and then something happened and you screened you know, you fell out of the normal range, that is very important to then think about why is that happening? What happened? And I think most doctors take those tests and then have a conversation with you and your family and think about this is what we see that is changing. How can we manage it? So it's very similar to your blood pressure or your diabetes where you got the blood test last month and it was high, or you got the blood pressure measurement last month and it was high, and then you came in this month and it's still high. And then the doctor is like, let's have a conversation. This is what is happening. This has some suggestions, or depending on what it is, this is the medication that we might need to get you on so that we can manage this. And so it's, again, it's part of the healthcare process where you want to screen for all of the potential conditions that might affect an individual and then start thinking about a management plan if the the numbers or the tests are not kind of normal per se. Yeah. You know, I always find it basically it helps to create a baseline. 
and and that's that's very useful. I always find it interesting because I remember five years ago where they they said, okay, you know, on a clock, write down what you know. 10 after two looks like well you know guess what many of us are using digital digital things now we don't we don't have analog clocks anymore like on a typical watch okay <laughs> anyway um but it's important for our audience to understand that when you go in for a physical these are important um, questions screening um, components that um, hopefully can identify and and aid and add to your 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 treatment of everything. Okay, um, yeah, I, go ahead. I just wanted to add a couple of things. I think you might have seen me do the air quotes in the normal, and that's partially because some of those tests have not been validated in some groups, and so it gets challenging using it for groups that have not been validated. But the other thing I wanted to highlight is that as we have this conversation. Well, I am hoping that as people listen, then they can begin to advocate for themselves. So if you go to a doctor's office and some of what we're talking about is not happening, bring up the conversation and say, can you screen me for this, you know, for my memory or my cognition, because I would like to get screened. So it's not necessarily just coming from the providers asking you to do it as a patient who's going to get sick care it is in your purview to be able to also speak up and advocate for yourself. Or if you're a family member going in with someone who you think there might be some cognitive issues going on and they're not getting screened, I would recommend that you ask the provider to say, can you please screen my relative for, for their cognitive it's a function? Great idea. Yeah. So it's really, it's a healthcare. It's, it's a two-way street. It's not just, it's not just the doctor's you know, telling you and telling you what to do is also you as an individual or as a family advocating for yourself and your family. Great idea. Let me, I want to link, um, and from a, a nurse's perspective, I want to get your ideas on this. Um, our previous show, we, we did a show on polypharmacy, okay? So as, as people get older, it's not uncommon that you have to take medications for a variety of different things, you know, a stat medication for cholesterol, um, blood pressure medication, um, thyroid medication, whatever it may be now. And oftentimes it's more than one, <laughs> one, two, three, four. Okay. Are these medications is it possible that these medications and the polypharmacy components of all of this um, have impacts on uh, memory? The short answer is yes. Some medication side effects could affect your memory. And again, thinking about the diagnosis process of dementia, this is why it's not a one day thing where you just go to the doctor and put a diagnosis of dementia. They're really looking at the whole picture. What medications are you on? Could this medications be causing, you know, loss of memory and poor, whatever other side effects that could be related to symptoms of dementia. And so the process of diagnosing dementia is really kind of like thinking about what else it could be and making sure that it's not that and then getting to the final you know, this is, it's not a lucidity issues. It's not a side effect of a medication. It's not a short term uh, related to some sort of trauma, traumatic thing that just happened. All of those possible things that it could be. And you find out some of those things are only temporary. 
And yeah. so once you've eliminated anything that could be temporary or short term, then you get to really thinking about could it be a dementia? And again, the testing is getting so well that we have different scans, MRI scans, PET scans that can really look into the different parts of the brain and see the dysfunction that might be telling the provider this is uh, an Alzheimer's related dementia, this is maybe a vascular dementia, this is a frontotemporal dementia. So it's really the process of Sad to say, the process of exclusion, making sure that all of the yeah. potential short-term things could be eliminated before getting to this diagnosis yeah. of dementia. That makes sense. That makes sense because, you know, there are obviously variables that can affect your memory. And by the way, I, you know, I've been exercising a lot. And to be honest with you, it helps. It helps to, you know, it, I, it, whether it's called getting your circulation moving a little bit differently than, than before, but I have, I've noticed a difference just by exercising. So if there's a takeaway for the audience, exercise, because that'll help you in general on a variety of different things. We like to end, end our shows with um, what can we, in, the, in this kind of a venue, a podcast venue, um, do? Um, based on you know everything that we've talked about, what's something else that we might be able to to do? We have access through the actual podcast itself. We have access through our our, our website. Um, what else? What's a you know a, a final comment on what is it that we might be able to do to help people? From my vantage point, there's a lot of misunderstanding and general not knowing about what dementia is in the process of diagnosing uh in particular in racial and ending minority communities who are actually disproportionately burdened with this condition but in general in all communities so my plea and the work that i've been doing right now is really helping to educate people about what dementia is and what is not, you know, it's not the person's gone crazy. It's not uh, yeah. the person did had drugs, depending on what community you are, there's different stigmas and different kind of stereotypes that people have thought about for thinking that is the cause of dementia is really helping community know what dementia is and then know what the signs are. Because if we all know this and like Mr. Jones talked about earlier, being a becoming a dementia friend is a really good thing. So that's something we all should do. But really just knowing more about dementia, not just because you have a family member who has dementia, not just because you have a relative who, or friend who has dementia, just everyone knowing what dementia is, what the signs and symptoms are, and then what to do would be really important because we all can be on the lookout for relatives or just neighbors who might be having you know symptoms there are persons who who were living with dementia who have been found to leave their house and wander they were going for a walk they got lost they don't know where they are so if we know a little bit more about this condition i think as a community we're going to be able to provide care to that person living with dementia and also care to the caregivers because the caregivers themselves one yes. occasionally go do something else, but they don't want somebody who do not who does not know anything about the condition coming in to help their relatives. So if you know about dementia, know the signs and symptoms, and you know a little bit about how to care for a person living with dementia, 
it it just goes a long way to improve everyone's health and also decrease cost for our health system. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I can say too is um, based on, on your research and, and any findings that, that you come up with, we'd love to have you back. All you have to do is contact us and say, hey, Stan, Clarence, I've got something really interesting that I think a community will really love hearing about based on findings. Open invitation, absolutely open invitation. Clarence. I just want to say thank you very much. I have enjoyed this and uh, we look forward again, as Stan said, to talk with you again. Thank you all so much for having me here. Okay. You're, you're a wonderful, wonderful guest and a gem for our community. So, so thank you. Thank you so much for being part of, of Health Chatter. For our audience, we have great shows coming up. Um, so stay tuned for those. We'll be doing a, a show coming up on oral health, one on anti-Semitism, one on racism, fentanyl, Healthy People 2030, The Objectives for the Nation. Great shows coming up. So watch your, watch your subscriptions to Health Chatter and keep health chatting away. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us. Send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com. Thank you.